G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Connecting faith to life. Vision. Coming up today on The Story. When we adopted Marcus, he actually came to us with all these little monitors attached to his torso and wires running from those to a huge box that monitored his breathing and his heart rate. And if ever the one of those things uh, dropped low, this horrendous loud alarm would go off. It was really difficult. Mm. The Story. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today, we have what best can be described as an unexpected journey of the heart from Grant Norsworth, former bass player for the Paul Coleman Trio. Grant was living the dream in terms of his musical career, but on a personal level, he and his wife wanted more children. And it did happen, but not in the way they had planned. Today on The Story, Grant shares about his life and the amazing way their adopted son stole their heart. He's chatting with Shelley Scowen. Brooke, my wife, who lives, uh, well, she was raised in New Zealand, Upper Mootery in New Zealand. She came over to Australia to go to this little thing called Kuma Gospel Music Festival at the time. Um, anyone with long memories and who's been really passionate about, uh, I don't know, the creative arts and the Christian faith might know about Kuma, the little town in New South Wales, mm, yeah. where there was a like a, a gathering of believers and we'd get together and we'd, uh, I don't know, discuss and learn about how to how to express ourselves uh, artistically, especially in response to our relationship with God. And Brooke was there and I was there as part of the, a band called the Paul Coleman Trio, or PC3 for short. And uh, we met and it was one of those sort of instant tidal ways of simultaneous emotion, which was, <laughs> <laughs> which was really wonderful because it was something that we felt was, uh, I don't know, we thought there was God involved in this, this uh, meeting that we'd had and this connection and we weren't I don't know, like we weren't even thinking boyfriend, girlfriend or anything like that. We were thinking, wow, something really big's going on here. And you live in New Zealand? That's crazy. Oh, well, you know. But anyway, we just stayed in touch over the next couple of years uh, and uh, then we got married. We got married over in, in uh, New Zealand. But uh, very soon after the wedding, we relocated to the United States and that relocation happened uh, with the band, the Paul Common Trio that I mentioned before, and that was the start of 2002. And so... Brooke and I never lived in the same city together until we lived in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, our whole courtship and engagement and everything was long distance. So it was it was kind of a, a wild ride, I guess. And that would be quite a challenge. I haven't done the whole distance relationship thing, but uh, I've heard that it really is quite a challenge. And it, I guess it's a bit of a test for your relationship, isn't it? Yeah, someone, uh, I don't know if someone said it to me or I read it somewhere, but distance to a relationship is like a, a wind to a flame. If it's a little flame, it'll just blow it out. But if it's a big flame, it'll really help it uh, take over. And it was the second of those cases for us. You know, I really actually intentionally tried to forget about Brooke and fall out of love with her, you know, if I can use those words, but I, I just couldn't do it. It was, there was something, something bigger going on. And it's not the way I, I would have imagined it, but, uh, that's how it worked for us. And it kind of worked out really well that we relocated to Nashville, to be honest, because, you know, I had my life in Melbourne, Australia, and uh, all my sort of circle of friends and what I did and how I did it. And Brooke was over there in, in New Zealand. 
uh, with her circle of friends and her family there and everything. And, you know, if I'd moved over to New Zealand to start our married life with her, then kind of her friends would become my friends. And if she'd moved over to uh, Melbourne to be where I was living, then kind of my life, she would have had to be sort of absorbed into my life in a way. Mm. But we relocated to Nashville and found that every set of experiences we were having was our shared. We were both making new friends. We were both exploring a new life, a new country, a new city. And so uh, I think it really helped us uh, in, uh, in those early stages of our marriage. Yeah, to be on that neutral territory rather than uh, having to, I guess, make the sacrifices one for the other. So you're in Nashville now. Yeah. You've obviously still got a very good Australian accent, which is very uh, pleasing to hear. How much do you actually miss being in Australia? Um, I do miss Australia. I, I um, You know, it's been, gosh, 13 years or so since uh, I left Australia. But, you know, like the old song says, I still call Australia home. Mm. But I tell you what, when Brooke and I are visiting Australia or New Zealand and we've been staying in our parents' or parents-in-law's spare room for a week and a half and we we start to feel a bit antsy about that, we'll say, maybe it's about time we went home. And that's when we mean Nashville. Yeah. you got three little boys. What kind of accent uh, do the older ones have? Well, I've got Max. He's seven. Yeah. And uh, he was born here in Nashville. And uh, Marcus, he's just recently turned two. He was born in Wichita, Kansas. And then we've got the newest baby, six-month-old Casper. He was born here in Nashville as well. So the Australian, me and the New Zealander, we have three Americans. <laughs> How um, did you do that? Yeah. Well, it's just where they're born, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you know, we're working on getting a couple of passports each for them, but we'll see how we go with that. But um, I'd say growing up, Max uh, had because Marcus isn't talking a whole lot yet and Casper certainly isn't, yeah. but Max had pretty much an Australia-New Zealand blend accent until he went to school and there, now he sounds pretty American. In fact, he, he really rags on me actually. He makes fun of me because he likes the way I speak in my Australian accent. But every now and again to be understood in America, I have to sort of switch on the American accent a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like my, my last name is Norsworthy and like – they just don't they don't understand Norsworthy because there's too many R's in there. I have to go, yeah, g'day, my name's Grant Norsworthy. I have to put the R in there. You know, you can't go into McDonald's and ask for a cheeseburger because they don't know what you're talking about. You've got to say, I'll have a, uh, a cheeseburger. You've got to put that R in there. And Max just kills himself laughing because, like, <laughs> Dad, you, you're trying to, uh, you know, like he really rags on me for you're selling to put out. that R in there. You're selling out. Just trying to be understood, buddy. That's all. That's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a fun game we live. Uh, Grant, we know you best from uh, well, I guess most people know you best from being the bassist in Paul Coleman Trio. What did you love about those oh. years where Paul Coleman Trio was really at the height of you know your success when you moved to Nashville and things were really booming for you? What did you love about those years of just touring and doing music the whole time? Well, I'm surprised you remember, Shelley. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm thankful for any listener out there who remembers the Paul Coleman trio. But uh, yeah, we had we had a great time. What do I love the most? Look, I'd have to say uh, connection. If I was going to bring it down to a simple single word, connection, because there's an amazing thing about Paul Coleman as a as a front man in a band, but he's and also as a mate, you know, and he he is still a good mate of mine, and as is Phil, our drummer. But uh, I think we enjoyed the the closest, most intense sort of relationships uh, of my whole life when we three guys were at our height there career-wise in the band. But not just the connection with each other. We were very intentionally trying to be guys who 
we're not just friends, but we actually were invested in each other. And we, there was a sort of a, a discipling or spiritual component to that. And, um, I think that was a very key part to how well I think the Paul Common Trio connected with, with audiences as well. So I enjoyed the connection with my two mates and uh, the other circle of people around us who were working, that connection there, but connection with audiences. And I have to say there was a, it was a wonderful uh, learning time in my own personal connection with God at that time as well. So, yeah, connection was the best thing about it. Uh, these days you're still a musician, probably uh, even more so than that, you're a speaker as well. We'll get to that in a minute. But I guess your first role at the moment is uh, to be a husband and a father to your three kids. And there is quite a story as to how yeah. God brought them into your family. So you have two biological kids now, but you have one yep. adopted son as well. So tell us the story of Marcus's adoption. Uh, why did you choose sure. uh, to go down the adoption path? <laughs> I'm so glad you are because I love to tell this story. But mm, as it it's happens, a Marcus story, is biological as well. Yeah, he, he's a biological human being, but I, I know oh, exactly what you mean. What you mean <laughs> is he's not broken my DNA, right? Yeah. That's what you mean then? Yep, yep. It's so funny because there's a whole different language around adoption that I never realized until I I started thinking about adoption for my family. Uh, so, yeah, we had Max in our family. And uh, we never imagined ourselves as being, you know, just three of us with an only child. But it seemed that to to fall pregnant again in the quote-unquote usual way, you know, for, <laughs> for Brooke and me seemed to be very tough. And we, we did some exploring of the medical options there and really uh, tried to see whether we could use uh, medicine to, I don't know, kickstart the, the, the natural way of expanding your family. But it was getting really really difficult um it was a real strain on on us as a couple it really felt to us like we were inviting this very cold hard expensive medical machine in between uh, brooke and me and and i wouldn't mind being there's quite a few listeners who in one way or another like struggle with fertility issues and i i i just want to make this really clear i'm not making any statement about your situation or how you're choosing to deal with that situation but for Brooke and me, we found that we just could not go further down that path than we did. It was getting very, very invasive and very much about test tubes and cubicles and syringes and it was getting ugly. And it wasn't about it didn't seem to be about love. Yeah. And Brooke started talking to me about adoption. And um I started to realise that there was a huge amount of reasoning in me about wanting to have and another baby in our family that was actually quite selfish. Um, I hope I can explain this right. But I started to think, well, is, is the passion in me, is the desire in me to have more love in my household, to have more of who God is and all that sort of good stuff in my home and in my household and in this world, is that the motivation? Or do I really want to see another version of Max? <laughs> do I really want to see my DNA reproduce and see how that turns out? Maybe have a girl version of, of Max or, you know, I started to think about growing my family as if I was at a restaurant with a menu, you know. I didn't want to be like that. I, I wanted to have more of God involved, more of the mystery of who God is involved in, in this. And my heart started to really change and I realized that, you know what, if God does want there to be more than three Norsworthies living in Nashville, Tennessee, then... He's going to make a way for that.
You're listening to The Story. Today we're hearing Grant Norsworthy sharing his and his wife's adoption journey. Next, we'll find out how God changes his heart and the way he views adoption. That's coming up next when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen's conversation with Grant Norsworthy, former bass player for the Paul Coleman Trio. Grant and his wife decided they wanted more children, but were having struggles trying to conceive naturally. And so they began to explore adoption. So I started talking to people about adoption and started studying some stuff. And I actually started reading the Bible with different eyes and I began to realize that adoption is actually central to the heart of God. You know, I'd heard stuff before from pulpits and from the Bible even, but it had never touched me. It never moved me. And uh, I guess a, a, a change happened inside my heart that, that uh, really Brooke helped usher in, you know, because she's much more about feelings and I'm much more about intellect on these sort of things. But uh, I wouldn't mind betting, Shelley, you know what, Christian's favourite Bible verse is. Do you know what it is? Have a, have a guess. What uh, do you think it might be? I have no idea. I would think John three sixteen. Exactly. Do you know what that one says? I'm not, I hope I'm not putting you on, your, on the spot. No, what you're does John right. three sixteen say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Exactly. It says in there that Jesus is God's only son. Right? Mm. Jesus is an only child. But then how does the Lord's Prayer start? Our Father. Our Father. Who art in heaven. In fact, if you start looking, right, we start realising that even though Jesus is an only son, and anyone who's had anything to do with Christianity or the Bible knows that, but we also recognise equally that we are the children of God. We can call him Daddy. We can call him Father. And in a mysterious way, we can think of Jesus as being our brother. I'd never yeah. thought of that before. So yeah. the whole idea of the gospel, the whole idea of Jesus coming to earth and living and dying is to offer us sonship and daughtership with God that is only possible through adoption. We get to be adopted into God's family. Then I started realizing that every time the apostle Paul writes brothers, like he's writing to the Romans, brothers, therefore brothers and, and in view of God's mercy. Now he's a Jew and he's writing to Romans, Gentiles. He's saying, brothers, you're in the family now because of Jesus. You've been adopted. And so this idea of adoption is completely central, I believe, to the heart of God. And at least in Brooke and my life, we realize that no, adoption, this is a way that God is making a path ahead for us to increase our family and to see more of who he is, who God is through this relationship. So, uh, you know, the adoption journey is not an easy one. It's an expensive one. But yeah. after some time and some fundraising, little baby Marcus came to our life, a little kid with all sorts of uh, health issues and uh, difficulties because he was born very premature. But I'm pleased to tell you that after a very tough road, and I guess it's a tough road that we're still on, he is a thriving little guy. <laughs> who is just just brings so much joy 
into our lives and into the lives of those he meets. And I think he's got a, a beautiful plan ahead for him uh, that's going to bring glory to God. And surprise, surprise, we have another son that we were not expecting to have arrive, Casper. You know, we've been told by medical people, you guys, you know, the whole getting pregnant thing, that's kind of not going to happen for you guys. Well, I don't know. <laughs> We've got three boys now. <laughs> and Casper was born about six months ago yeah. against uh, against all the medical advice we've received and without any intervention from medicine. Wow, that's awesome. Talk about blessing from God, hey? You started off with one and now you've got three and God just continues to bless you. I really love that perspective on adoption that you gave too about how it really is central to the heart of God. It's, you know, our whole Christianity is kind of based on this whole thing that we are heirs of the Father and we're joint heirs with the Son. It really is an amazing perspective that we can then model in our own families. Talking to my husband about this last night, I was saying, look, if I'm honest, really, I think what you've done is absolutely fantastic. Like, I just think it it is absolutely awesome. And I mean, to be truthful, I'd love to do it one day. But at the heart of it, I don't know if I could actually love another child as much as I love my own biological children. Is that a, a female thing? And I'm sure you would get that that kind of comment all the time. Was it a different story between you and your wife? Did did one of you find that you connected faster? Did you connect straight away like you did like uh, with Max? What was that like? I mean, your head loves them, but did your heart mm. truly, truly love them like your own uh, son? Great question, and it's certainly one that's um that's worth talking about. But I'm not exactly sure how to answer. Um, I know <laughs> it's a very difficult but, question. No, no. It, because we were both fearful about that. Yeah. You know, we, we we felt like God was changing our hearts, changing our thinking and changing our planning towards adoption away from trying to, uh, you know, get pregnant in the usual way to increase our family. But there was always this, what if uh, we just don't feel like we, we can love another child that's not our DNA? And, you know, Marcus is actually... Um, uh, you know, he's African American. At least half of his DNA is African American, so he looks completely different from our kids. There's no way anyone's going to look at him and go, "Oh, maybe he's part of the clan." You know, maybe. <laughs> and he, but he absolutely is. But people look and they think that one of these things is not like the other. You know, <laughs> and yeah. so yeah. But I have some things happened that really helped convince me that that it ha- that has happened though that we have fallen completely in love with Marcus in exactly the same way that we're we're in love with Casper or Max, and uh, it did take a little while, and it took some tearing down I think some of some of our prejudices as well. Yeah, and I think that was what God needed to do because it's so easy to think about someone who gives birth to a child and then comes up with an adoption plan. Now, the language used to be give up their child, mm. you know, and yeah. that's that's a really unhelpful way of talking about this because the woman who gave birth to Marcus, who uh, we met and spent some time with and we continue in relationship with her, the prejudices that had to tear down in me and Brooke were this sort of like judgmental, well, how could you sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, we, we don't have any of that in us now for, for her. She instead is a is a woman who has had a very different life from from Brooks or mine, and she's had a very tough set of situations happen for her. And 
I am actually filled with admiration for the bravery she has showed. She had other options, you know. She didn't have to hold on to this pregnancy. She could have uh, got rid of Marcus. But instead, she made a courageous choice and then she was able to look at her own situation and her own life in the cold, hard light of day and say, I am not going to be able to raise this child the way this child needs to be raised. I am incapable. And that's a, that's a tough thing for a mother to say. And she was able to say to us that her heart still wants to keep Marcus, but her head knows that she can't yeah. and she will have to allow her heart to catch up. And yeah. as we've continued to communicate with her, it seems that her her heart is catching up. She's, she takes joy in seeing how Marcus is thriving. And those same sort of uh, healings have had to happen in Brooks and my hearts as well, you know, mm. where our heads could say we have to love this little boy the same as Max and the same as Casper. And, and the, the heart had to follow along behind, but I, I can absolutely tell you with, with conviction that, our hearts have caught up. Yeah. He's won us over. Can I tell you a story about that? Because I think there was a moment when I realised how much I loved him. Yeah, tell us. Well, I told you that uh, Marcus was born seven weeks premature and he had quite a few medical conditions, which included a, a hemorrhage in his brain when he was born, a hole in his heart, and he uh, perhaps more seriously suffered from a thing called apnea, which means from time to time he would just stop breathing, just just forget to breathe. Sometimes his heart would stop beating. And so when we uh, adopted Marcus, he actually came to us with all these little monitors attached to his torso and wires running from those to a huge box that monitored his breathing and his heart rate. And if ever the one of those things uh, dropped low, this horrendous loud alarm would go off. It was terrible. And that's, that's kind of really awkward. That's one of the other sort of strange things about it. Like we're driving back from Wichita, Kansas with with Marcus and we've got this big box, you know, that you, he can never be separated from. It was, it was really difficult. Mm. Um, we'd had him in our family and in our household back in Nashville for quite a few weeks and all the time, like multiple times a day and night, this alarm would go off. And we had these techniques, uh, you know, you'd rub his feet or you'd, you'd pick him up or there were things you could do and he would go, oh, that's right, I'm supposed to be breathing. I'm supposed to be having a heartbeat. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. It would happen so often that it wasn't it wasn't really all that big of a deal, actually, because he would always come back, always. Mm. And then uh, we saw some medical practitioners on a Friday and they said, oh, all right, well, he seems to be doing well. Let's just put the monitor machine on him overnight now and when he's having a nap. And uh, so we thought, oh, great, he must, be, he must be doing well. And then a few days after that, I was in my studio at home uh, with the door open, my studio slash office. Don't think a big, expensive recording studio, folks. My little home with a microphone in it. And Brooke was in the next room with Marcus on the sofa. And I remember her saying to me, hey, Grant, come in here. Marcus has got a funny sort of look about him. And I walked in in time to see Brooke shocked. And she said, he's not breathing. Now, of course, he wasn't on his monitor because he was. it wasn't his you know, bedtime, and she jumped off the sofa and picked him up, and he was absolutely limp. He was absolutely like a little rag doll, you know, and just this this grey-green complexion on him, and it's like uh, we thought he had died. Wow. And sure enough, he had stopped. We don't know how long he had stopped breathing for, but Brooke started performing CPR, and I started calling 911 to get medical people there. But by the time I walked back to Brooke, still on the phone with 911, the emergency service people in America, 
he was breathing again. And uh, he had to go to hospital for a couple of days, but, but he came back and you would never know now to see him as a two-year-old, like running and talking and sharp as a nail and <laughs> like, uh, he's just amazing. But uh, I realised that the way I felt about Marcus could not have been any worse. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. it, it couldn't have been any worse if it, if it was Max or Brooke. He just convinced me that, that he totally had me now. You know, he's totally part of my family. And you couldn't and, bear uh, to lose him at all. Could not bear it. Yeah. No. I would have jumped in front of a bus if I thought it had saved him, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when you know that you are well and truly daddy and he is yours. And I guess, again, it's right. a picture of, you know, God and his love for us and how he's adopted us as his sons and daughters as well. That was Shelley Scowen chatting with Grant Norsworthy, former bass player for the Paul Common Trio. He provided some wonderful insights into how God changed his heart and attitude towards adoption. And also, we learned about God's heart for adopting us into his family. Some profound truths for all of us. Well, before we end today, I want to let you know how you can learn more about Grant's music and ministry. You can check it out at his website, grantnorsworthy.com. That's grantnorsworthy.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. God calls me to plant a church in Melbourne and I thought that would mean that any moment now my husband was going to come along because I didn't know of anyone in Australia who was pastoring or starting a new church as a single woman. The church was in St Kilda, which is, as you may know, the red light district of Mm -hmm. Melbourne. It was just so hard. Tanya Harris is the founder of God Conversations and she's faced some unique challenges leading a worldwide ministry as a single female. She'll share her story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.